0: All right, Alexander, let's do an update on what is going on in Ukraine and what an incredible past couple of days from Prigozhin and uh, the video that he put out. And uh, now we have Surovikin, who seems to be the person tasked with managing all of this. And uh, yesterday we had quite a Quite an active day from the Russian military, drones, uh, missiles, glider bombs, which appear to be posing uh, a big problem for the Alensky regime. I mean, a very, very big problem. Actually, I think the Telegraph even did a a story on the problem that uh, that these bombs are uh, posing for the Ukraine military, but it's the Russian uh, Air Force that is at work and the Russian Air Force is at work because of the depletion of the S-300 air defense, which we have talked about in previous videos. And we have uh, the Victory Day uh, parade, which, uh, which we are uh, gearing up for. So um, what, what would you like to
1: start off with well can I just say first of all the victory day parade is going to is an immense event in russia i mean you know i think you've actually been in russia when it's been celebrated so you can you you have some conception of what an enormous holiday that is and it is important to stress this is obviously a state event but it is also very much a public event the russian population are extremely engaged in it there isn't a single russian family that wasn't touched by the second world war in some way uh, mostly in most cases in a very great way so this is for them a huge event and i'm getting the sense that an awful lot of what's going on or at least what ukraine is doing seems to be <laughs> driven by trying to rain on the parade if you like to trying to spoil this day for the russians and it, it it's creating a very sort of edgy, nervous, rather tense atmosphere around this parade in ways and around this holiday in ways that I've never know, seen known before and which, speaking about this politically, I suspect is only in the end once more going to confirm widespread feeling, which I know already exists in Russia, that this is a government in Kiev that simply cannot be tolerated and that it must be, uh, um, you know, driven out of existence. Um, I say that because the Ukraine's intelligence, military intelligence chief, a man called Budanov, has made some incredibly strong comments about, you know, the importance of, you know, killing Russians, you know, which seem to go beyond the war itself. And now there's increasing talk about, you know, declaring ukraine a kind of terrorist state which of course if the russians do that then that in effect precludes negotiations so there is there is this tension there is this nervousness around victory day concerned about what um the ukrainians might do but the reality is that even though all the talk is of a ukrainian offensive it is the russians over the last couple of days, who have been massively on the attack. Now, one area where they're on the attack is in Bakhmut, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, the Prigozhin melodrama took another turn yesterday. He announced that everything had been sorted out. The military had promised him all the ammunition he needed. Uh, uh, General Surovikin, who, if you remember, well, as of course you do remember, was uh, at one period of time the overall commander of the theater commander, uh, back in September, October, uh, he's now been brought back and has now become Prigozhin's line manager. In my opinion, Suravikin has never gone away. Whenever I've seen pictures of Putin or other people. On the battlefronts, visiting the headquarters, Suravikin has always been there. He's always dominated the meetings. He's always the man pointing to the maps and those kind of things. I think he remains the overall commander, but he's clearly been put in to sort of try and take charge of this Prigozhin business and the Wagner business. And the result is that over the last couple of hours, also we've had a major renewed Russian advance in Bakhmut itself. Now, what's left of Ukrainian-controlled Bakhmut is just a couple of buildings. And I, you know, I, 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 that might be a bit of an overstatement, but not much. Just a couple of isolated, increasingly isolated buildings on the western fringes. And over the last couple of hours, the Russians have been storming and capturing them. And... It could be, and it could be that this is what Prigozhin wants, that he wants to capture the whole of Bakhmut by Victory Day, so that he'll be the great victor who captured Bakhmut and achieve this victory on Victory Day. The Ukrainians, General Sirsky, the Ukrainian Ground Forces Commander, has now issued a contrary statement to Ukrainian troops. He says that the, their mission is to prevent the fall of Bakhmut by the 9th of May, by tomorrow, in other words, by Victory Day. I, it seems that this whole thing, is, this whole battle now, has come down to uh, an issue between these two people, Prigozhin and Sirsky, over over a holiday. And I think that sudovikin who clearly is the one general, Russian general, that Prigozhin is a bit intimidated by and respects, has been basically brought in to sort of calm things, bring things under control, (laughs) make sure that, as I said, the fighting in Bakhmut is indeed finally brought by an end, even if not by a particular time and date. And then I'm confident also that once that's done, the Wagner troops will be withdrawn from Bakhmut New troops are apparently pouring in. Chechens are reported to be there. Regular Russian army are also reported to be moving in. And I think the Wagner forces will be sent back to the rear and refitted and given a rest, which they urgently need. They've been fighting in Bakhmut continuously since November. So they absolutely need a rest. And as you rightly said in previous videos, uh, Prigozhin clearly does too.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the the whole final two, three square kilometers, whatever's left, is obviously all about a media narrative, and you know, I I, I understand Prigozhin and Wagner. Okay, they they want to finish what what they've started and what they've been doing for for the past uh, six months, and so he wants to bring it to its completion if he can bring it to its completion by victory day I guess for Prigozhin, even even better uh, for him uh, but the the Ukraine military it, it seems they're holding on to to what essentially is lost just so they don't give the the Russian side some sort of of may 9th Uh, celebration, while at the same time, they can then go to the Collective West uh, media and they can pump out stories along the lines of, you know, Russia celebrates Victory Day, but it can't take Bakhmut, right? Something like that, that CNN or MSNBC are going to start pumping out. It's Maybe it fits this war. I mean, I don't know. This is this conflict has been bizarre in so many ways. Yes. I, I guess this is a fitting end to to the battle of Bakhmut. Yes. I mean, what more can I say? Well,
1: uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 it's tragedy mixed up with farce. Tragedy because people are dying, but I mean, the idea of you know running your war in this kind of fashion—a war in which people have been killed. I mean, it has a farcical quality about it. But, you know, this is, you said that this is the pattern of the war. It is the pattern of the war. Look at the bizarre events that have happened over the last two weeks or so. About a week, ten days ago, reports that the Ukrainians had crossed the Dnieper River into Kherson region, embedded themselves there, and that they were, you know managed successfully to cross the Dnieper. The Ukrainian defense ministry denies it. They said there's absolutely no truth to this story. Then other f- officials in Ukraine continue to claim it. The Western media and Ukrainian media pick it up. It circulates. Eventually, quietly, that story is dropped, but it is clearly nonsense. Another story clearly an attempt to create a story around a drone. You remember, I'm sure you've seen the pictures, this Bayraktar drone flying over Kiev. We've had all kinds of bizarre explanations about what it was doing. I've no doubt that it was intended again as a piece of theatre. Ukraine sent its drones against the Kremlin, was awaiting this great Russian uh, you know, response. You know, It didn't materialise, so of course they had to send their own drone up in order to shoot it down. Because that's what happened. I mean, people are, are, are over-analyzing the events. They're saying, did the Russians hack it? Did the drone fly off course? All of those things. It was clearly, I, as far as I'm concerned, everything points to this being, again, a piece of theatre. And then the even more bizarre story about the downing of the hypersonic Kinjal missile. That, you know, the, the Ukraine shoots down a a Kinjal missile. They show, you know, a nose cone of something or other that they say is a Kinjal missile. This is what the Patriot missile can do. You have, again, the Ukrainian Air Defence Command. They said, no, no, we didn't do it. We haven't got the capability. There's even, uh, uh, at one point, the uh, Ukrainian Defense Air Defense Command uh, Commander uh, Igna actually said one thousand times, "No, this isn't true. This story isn't true," and yet Ukrainian media outlets and parts of the Western media are still running with this story. I CNN, mean, it, CNN, absolutely. It, I mean, it is it, it, it borders on the ludicrous, but you you can see what is happening that the whole thing. This whole war is once again being run increasingly as a kind of extraordinary big media operation. And one can understand, to some extent, the logic of it in the sense that, you know, kind of twisted logic. If You can't win real win victories, you win invented ones. Your soldiers are across the Dnieper. <laughs> You're shooting down Russian drones. You're shooting down Russian hypersonic missiles. Therefore, give us more more weapons, more missiles, more aircraft, all of these things. But none of this is real. The trouble is, even as all this unreality is circulating, you have to deal with actual real events that are also taking place. Yesterday, last night, there was this massive Russian missile drone bombing strike right across Ukraine. There's a report today that um, a warehouse has bombed in Odessa. And there's a fire there that's blazing that covers six kilometers. (laughs) I mean, huge damage being created that way. There's all these rumors about this Ukrainian counteroffensive, which is one day it's on the next day it's off. We no longer know any more exactly when it's going to happen. I mean at some point, presumably it will happen, but it's so we get General Pavel, the Czech president. He turns up in Kiev. He says, you know, don't do this offensive now, it'd be a huge mistake. It's your one shot. You could easily go wrong. You don't have you're not trained enough. Your weapons aren't ready. So wait a couple of months. Um, and he also says rather ominously for the Ukrainians you know you might actually lose the war and we got to in the west prepare for that possibility we have Reznikov coming along saying to Washington Post I believe that the um, (laughs) the, you know we're we're having all this trouble there's half a million men against us which by the way there are that's the first confirmation I've seen in the western media that the Russians have half a million men now in the theatre of whom only a fraction have actually been fighting over the last few weeks. Just, you know, take note of that. That We're up against half a million men. The other side is an air force. The other side is missiles. The other side is ammunition. The other side is fortifications. We must dampen our expectations. We, must, we might suffer heavy losses. So you have Reznikov saying that. And then, of course, on the other side, you have a person... Uh, I, I forget which, another Ukrainian official, he speaks to the Independent, a British newspaper, he says, it's going to be fine, we're going to attack, the Russians will panic, and they'll flee, they'll run away. So you have, as I said, this extraordinary mixture of tragedy and farce. I think the Russians actually must at times be utterly bewildered by it. And the fact that they have their own oversized personalities like Prigozhin to deal with can't make it any easier.
0: Yeah. Uh Ghost of Kiev, Zaporozhye Avengers, Siege of Kiev, Great Herson Counteroffensive, Great Harkiv Counteroffensive, all of these these fictions that the collective West has has created, uh it has trapped the Ilensky regime. Yes. Because they have to they have to surpass these false narratives yes. that have been created by, by the Aletsky regime, but also by the collective West. Yes. you know if you don't if you don't have a great victory, the scale of the of the Great herson counteroffensive. Well, then we're not going to give you weapons. I think to myself, you know, why why doesn't Reznikov just come clean with it and say, you know what, guys, uh, the Great Kherson counteroffensive wasn't really much of a, of a counteroffensive because the Russians retreated in in a very orderly manner. They created a new defensive line and when we moved in there they they launched all kinds of uh, of yeah. artillery yeah. at us and it yeah. was a yeah. it was a complete debacle yes. but they've trapped themselves in these in these huge you know 300 style cinematic narratives and yeah you know I think we were the first channel that described this conflict in terms of being something out of cinema the reality though is that The Collective West in Ukraine are running around looking for air defense. They're looking for S-300s, looking for S-400s. And just yesterday, the Turkish foreign minister said the U.S. has approached us and they asked us for our S-400s and our S-300s. I know in Cyprus and Greece, they did the same thing. The reality of the situation is that Ukraine is losing its air defense and they're going to launch a counteroffensive, which it appears they're not ready to
1: launch. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, and this is the tragedy of it men are going to die. Not just men, of course, lots of people are going to die in order to keep this movie moving. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you, uh, Reznikov himself said, confirmed exactly the point that you were making that you, that you only have to read the Washington Post article to see this that the reason Ukraine has, you know, is now trapped by its own narratives about those previous offensives. So it has to cap them, <laughs> and it has to you know, achieve more this time because of what it claimed it achieved in those two offensives in the autumn, which, of course, as you absolutely rightly said, it didn't actually achieve <laughs> in anything of those two offensives in the autumn. Nothing decisive. A lot of people died. But in terms of the actual change to the course of the war, it wasn't it wasn't achieved. And in the meantime, even as all this bizarre drama is going on, you, you are now starting to see signs of cracks, even within Neocon Central, because there's a very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, which says that there's now a split between the National Security Council, i.e. between Sullivan and the State Department, i.e., Blinken and Newland. Blinken and Newland, the keepers of the neocon flame, they want the offensive to go on. They're still committed to victory at any cost, at any price. Sullivan, supposedly, is starting to come round to the idea of negotiations. But of course, he has no real plan about how to negotiate, he's no real idea of what to do. Um, He's perhaps just a little bit more connected to reality than the others. But he still wants the offensive to happen because, you know, we've, you know, advertised the movie. We have published all, you know, the all all the, you know, the, the, the commercials we've shown, you know, the sort of tasters, all of that sort of thing. People have seen it on the on their TV sets, you know, this great. Offensive is coming. So we can't disappoint the audience.
0: What is what is Russia doing right now, Alexander? What is going on? I hear they're hitting Chasov Yar. Uh, we've got confirmation that they've taken out a very important bridge, which is uh, one of the main routes of transporting weapons from Romania into the uh, the the Donbass. Uh, they hit Kiev. They hit uh, Dnipro. But... Uh, we're talking just a huge, uh, a huge effort from the Russian military to, it seems, to, to just hit the entire rear of, uh, of Ukraine's uh, military as, as they struggle to, to get this, this offensive underway.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly what the Russians are doing. We're starting to see the Russian military system cranking up. I mean, you know, in the first couple of months of the war, they tried to fight more a political war. Than a military struggle. As events have gradually evolved, they are seeing it more and more in strict, simple military terms. And we see that their resources are now coming out into the open. We we had pictures of Shoigu, the defence minister, with hundreds of tanks, you know, new T90M tanks. And apparently they're producing more and more infantry fighting vehicles, more and more shells. And of course they've got half a million men in the theatre. But what they're doing is, they're waiting for the Ukrainians to come to them. That's been their tactic. Um, Surovikin announced it back in October. He said, we'll build all our fortifications, we'll build up our reserves, and we will grind the Ukrainians down. And the one piece of useful information that's come out of Prigozhin over the last couple of days, because he's made one, statement, one bizarre statement out of it after another, but he's given a very detailed explanation of his discussions with Suravikin back in October. And Suravikin said, look, we're going to hit Bakhmut. You're going to take the advance there. This is a trap. It's even more important that you draw as many Ukrainian troops into Bakhmut as possible than that you actually capture the place because we are going to stage this as a meat grinder, even as the rest of our military gradually gears up and prepares. And that's exactly what happened. And you remember, this is exactly what Sulovikin did with, with the attacks on the energy system. The real purpose, I think it's now clear, was to deplete Ukraine's air defences. And he did the same with Bakhmut, in effect. He takes things that Ukraine feels it has to defend and causes Ukraine to burn up its resources trying to defend them. So the energy system, they had to defend it. And so they've lost most of their S-300s. And as you correctly said, the West is now on an expedition, hunting around the world, trying to find air defense systems to send to Ukraine. And there just aren't any. And he's done the same with Bakhmut. He's ground down the Ukrainian forces there. The Ukrainians have suffered in extremely heavy losses defending Bakhmut. And they've also lost a lot of, you know, they're not very great supplies, stocks of ammunition. And again, the West is begging around the world trying to find ammunition to keep the Ukrainians supplied with ammunition. So you can see, you you can see Surovekin's tactics. We conserve our forces, we suffer as few losses as we can, we inflict the maximum pain on the Ukrainians, we're grinding them steadily and methodically down. Now, how this is going to end, I, I'm not party to Russian plans. I don't know. There's two contradictory views. Scott Ritter has said, the Russians have now half a million men in theatre. The Ukrainians are rapidly running out of material and men. Uh, the Russians could end it this year. That's the Scott Ritter view. A Russian commander on the battle lines, a man called Apti al who's actually a Chechen, he said, look, what we're actually going to do is something different. We're not going to launch big arrow offensives. There's no reason why we should. We're going to continue exactly as we're doing, methodically, incrementally. We're going to continue to advance slowly, gradually, grinding the Ukrainians down, and eventually the Ukrainians will collapse, and they will collapse sometime around August, September of next year, and notice the timing of that. It's a few weeks before the presidential election.
0: Yeah, uh, I also think that Ukraine is uh, is starting to to change its tactics as well, and th- it seems like they're moving towards with the with the direction of Budanov. I think Budanov is, is the guy that's driving this. It does seem like they're moving towards some sort of uh, tactic to to create little. Like, like pinprick uh terrorist strikes and and they're even going after it seems like they're increasingly going after uh journalists and politicians yeah, and yes yeah. it, it seems like they're drifting towards towards this direction yes more than actual an actual military confrontation
1: yes indeed, and can I just make point out this is exactly in a way mirrors those statements. you remember that article I think it was in foreign policy you know that Ukraine, in order to win its offensive needs to, in order for this offensive to succeed, it must cause panic and paralysis within the Russian political leadership and um, its military. And that has to be achieved within the first 24 hours. You now have had this other Ukrainian official talking about, you know, if we launch this offensive, the Russians will panic. It's all now becoming increasingly... More than anything else, it's all about mind games, causing the Russians to panic, causing them to become scared and frightened. And, you know, basically uh, the idea is precipitate some kind of crisis in Moscow through these kind of attacks and hope that that somehow changes the direction of the war. Now, I have to say, um, I've had encounters with Russians, also in you know business business world. And I must say that I've never known a Russian to panic <laughs> just, just just to make that observation. And someone else who I'm in correspondence with, who was a former intelligence officer, British intelligence officer and worked in Russia, has said it made exactly the same point that, you know, trying to you can you can take the Russians by surprise you can't ever really tap, you can't ever really panic them so i don't think this is a, going to be a successful strategy but it is leading ukraine into a very dark place it's some of the things it's doing so you have these assassinations of people there was another one attempted the other day against a russian writer we have these bomb attacks these drone attacks all of these sort of things and as i said it does look like it's intended to create an atmosphere of panic and even terror, I'm going to think it's going to do the opposite.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll uh, leave the video there, The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, Bitch Shoot, and Telegram, and go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.